Brothers and sisters, I would ask that you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Jonah as we continue our study in this book of Jonah. We'll be looking at chapter 2 and the whole of it, verses 1 to 10. Jonah, chapter 2 and verses 1 to 10. If you would then, brothers and sisters, please hear with me then the reading of God's holy and inspired Word. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and You heard my voice. For You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to You, into Your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to You what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Thus far is a reading of of God's Word. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. And that question is this. Do you cherish with all of your heart God's presence in your life? Do you cherish with all of your heart God's presence in your life? A simple way to test yourself for an honest answer to this question is to ask yourself how often it is that you are in the Word and prayer. How often it is that you are in the Word and prayer. If you want an answer to know how much you truly cherish the Lord your God and how much value you deem Him worthy to be, ask and answer that question for yourself this day. Now, it's easy to lie to ourselves though, isn't it? If I asked you here this morning, who here loves and cherishes the presence of God in their life more than money or more than possessions? or earthly pleasures, or even friends and family, we would all probably raise our hands and say, I do. But then when I, when I put you to the test, when you actually have to, to think about it and not answer emotionally or subjectively based on your own feelings, but when you have to answer it objectively, it kind of cuts through the lies, doesn't it? And exposes to us the truth that is within our hearts. 
You see, there are many people out there who say, I desire the presence of God in my life. There are many Christians out there who say, I desire the presence of God in my life. That in fact, they haven't felt the presence of God in some time. Perhaps months, years, they have not felt the presence of God. And so their heart has grown cold to the Lord. They have lost their their vigor and their excitement for the faith. But what you oftentimes find is when you ask those people, well, how often are you in the Word? How often do you find yourself in prayer? It is not often, if at all. Now think about it like this, brothers and sisters. What effect would daily non-communication have in your own marriage relationship? What effect would daily non-communication have in your own marriage relationship? Think about going just one day without speaking to your spouse. You'd be in trouble for that, wouldn't you? But now think about day after day, month after month, that would have devastating effects upon your relationship, wouldn't it? So why do we think that it's okay to, to daily not be in communication with the bridegroom of the church? And not think that its ramifications are going to far exceed what they would in an earthly relationship. You see, brothers and sisters, if we truly cherish God's presence in our life, right, if, if we esteemed God to be the highest good in our life, right, if we truly believed that we could not be happy one day apart from the presence of God, we would be a people devoted to word and prayer. You see, the problem is is for many, and for many who would call themselves Christians, they don't feel that they need to be in the presence of the Lord every day to be happy. They They think they can find happiness outside of being in the presence of the Lord. But here, Jonah for us in our text today is a, is a great example of what trying to find happiness outside and a part of the presence of the Lord gets you. And when he does, what do we see? Right after taking God's presence for granted, after valuing, valuing God's presence very little by running from God's word and not wanting to say a word back to God, what is it that Jonah discovers? What Jonah discovers is that separation from the presence of God spells death. That is what Jonah learns. He learns that separation from God severs one spiritually from divine blessing. What Jonah learns is that to cut off heavenly conversation with God through the word and prayer is to bring calamity and ruin upon one's soul. Right? This is what Jonah learns. But sadly, brothers and sisters, there are so many out there who do not learn this lesson that Jonah has learned. Or by the time that they do learn it, it is too late. Many are deceived into thinking that this fleeting world can provide for them comfort, happiness, and joy, but that is simply a lie of the devil. As they are blinded by the attractive nature of their sin, but all that it will get them is eternal sorrow upon sorrow. Right? But God, through Jonah in our text here today, shows us that there is a way. That there is a way into the loving presence of God. But for it, one must leave their pride. They must abandon their self-exaltation and their self-righteousness. They must forsake 
their desire for autonomous living, leaving all of that thing and all of those things in the, in the dust, leaving it behind. They have to see, brothers and sisters, that the narrow gate is closing; it is shutting towards them, and that if that narrow gate was to close, that they would be lost in the darkness of their sin forever. And they must see that the only way to escape the darkness of their sin and not be closed out from that narrow door forever is to run unto Almighty God. And and the only way that you can do that is to be found upon one's knees. To to run from sin and to flee to God and to call out to Him, that, that is to be found on one's knees. And this is what Jonah learns in our text today. This is a lesson that Jonah learns. And it's a lesson that each and every one of us must learn as well. Right? And so let us see why the presence of God is so important in our lives this morning. Right? Let us see how we enter into the presence of God through the example of Jonah this day. And let us learn through Jonah's example how we abide therein forever. So we're going to look at our text in this morning under three points. And the three points are these. They all begin with G. They're short and sweet. Our first point will be guilt. Guilt. Our second will be grace. And our third will be gratitude. This is what we see in our text today. We see guilt, grace, and gratitude. And so let us begin with point number one, which is guilt. Now Jonah spent much of the first chapter of this book Uh, running from the presence of the Lord. But now what we see is Jonah's been swallowed up by this fish and so he can run no more. But what we need to see is that Jonah doesn't want to run anymore either. Right In chapter 1, he ran from the presence of God by running away from the Word of God. He ran away from the presence of God by not wanting to speak to his God any longer. Remember on that boat, as all the sailors are crying out to their gods, they tell Jonah, cry out to yours so that we might not perish. And Jonah remains silent. But here in chapter 2, now we see Jonah no longer wants to run from God's presence. No longer does he want to remain silent. But now Jonah runs towards God. He turns back towards God's presence. And he knows that it is only to be found in prayer. And so he prays. And yet not any kind of prayer, any type of prayer. For the Lord refuses the prayers of the proud. But as David tells us in Psalm 51, verse 17, that a broken and contrite heart, O God, You will not despise. This is how Jonah returns to the Lord. In the same vein as the prodigal son returns to his father. Broken by their sin, understanding the grievousness of their sin, returning in all humility to their father without any self-righteousness or self-justification anymore. And how, brothers and sisters, does Jonah get to this place? How does he get to the place that now he wants to run back into the presence of his Lord? It is through affliction. It is through affliction. Jonah cries out to the Lord. Why, we are told? Because he is in distress, we read in verse 2. It was his distress, feeling the guilt of his sin, the weight of his sin upon him, through the corrective hand of God, that now draws Jonah back to his Lord and down to his knees in prayer. You see, Jonah understands what so many of us still need to learn. And that is the first thing that we need to do when trouble comes our way 
is to not seek our own solution for it. Not to try to escape it through our own means, but rather the first thing we are to do when affliction and trouble comes is we are to turn to God in prayer. We are to turn to God in prayer. I mean, think about the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Himself. When He was in agonizing pain, anguishing over the weight of the sin of of all who would believe that was upon Him, what does Jesus Himself do? He turns to God in prayer, seeking the presence of His Father. Think about even Paul, who at this time was Saul. What does he do when he is confronted by the Lord on the Damascus road and he is blinded? We're told that Saul was blinded for, for three days. And then in Acts chapter 9, verse 11, the Lord tells Ananias to, to go find Paul or Saul at this time. And he says this, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for an, a man of Tarsus named Saul. What are you going to find him do, doing? He says, For behold, he is praying. Right? When, when, when Saul, who is Paul, was afflicted and blinded, what, what was he found to be doing? Right? Turning to the Lord in prayer. And so here with Jonah, just like with Jesus and just like with Saul, what we need to see is that times of affliction are times that are custom made for prayer. Right? Times of affliction are times custom made for prayer. In fact, this is what we need to see. This is why God so often presses us underneath His his thumb. It is to cause us to pray. It is to drive us to prayer. This is why God permits all these things to collapse around us. It is so that we might flee to Him in prayer. And in the case of Jonah, he sees God's hand all over his chastisement, doesn't he? And so this is why he he turns to God. He turns to the only one who can free him of his guilt and despair and draw him back into his own presence. Jonah learns that there can be no peace, no happiness, no joy outside of the presence of God. He knows what it's like to be outside of God's presence and Jonah doesn't want to experience that anymore. And so it causes him to now run back to the Lord, to flee back to the Lord. Jonah sees the lesson. Right, that outside of God, all there is is despair and hopelessness. I mean, listen to how Jonah describes his own distress. In verse 2, what does he say? He says he cried out from the belly, from being in the belly of Sheol. Sheol can be translated hell. It can also signify the, the realm below the, the ground. Right, or the grave, or the, the realm or the, or the place of death. Brothers and sisters, do you, do you see that? That, that? that Jonah, when describing his distress, can turn nowhere else but here to describe what it feels like to be outside of the presence of God. And to be outside of the presence of God, Jonah describes it as if it's like being in hell. It's like being in the realm of the dead. This is where running from God's presence will get each and every one of us. This is what all will will receive who flee the presence of God and do not turn back to Him in faith. They will receive death. They will receive the the torments of hell. Jonah is feeling here in our text this morning what it's like to suffer the torments of hell for the guilt of his own sin. And what does that feel like? It feels like forsakenness, doesn't it? Jonah feels the forsakenness of God. 
This is how he vividly describes it for us. In verse number 3, he says, The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. In verse 4, Then I said, I'm driven from your sight. In verse 5, the, the waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head. In verse 6, at the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. That is what the distressed Jonah was feeling was like. That is what it feels like to be forsaken by God and living outside of the presence of Him. Brothers and sisters, reading this today together ought to elicit great fear and terror in our own hearts as we read this. Right? Fear and terror that have to cause us to, to flee immediately from whatever sin we are living in. Never wanting to experience the terrors of this punishment that Jonah is experiencing. And this is very similar to the forsakenness that Christ Himself felt upon the cross, isn't it? When he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Jesus, throughout that whole ordeal, was silent. Right? Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. But what happens? As soon as, he, as soon as that loving presence of God he feels depart him, what does he do? The silence turns, out, turns from silence to frightening cries. Right? He, he cries out to the Lord, feeling his forsakenness. This is how it will be for all who flee from the presence of God. This is how it will be for all who die apart from Christ. They will be forsaken from the loving presence of God and they will feel the torrents of hell just as Jonah is feeling them. But Jonah wanted to be a fugitive from God. He wanted to run away. And what happens when, the fugitives are, when a fugitive is caught? They're brought back and the book is thrown at them. And so here Jonah feels the torments of hell. He feels like everything is prevailing against him. Like he will be lost in darkness forever. Like all hope is gone. Like he is being spiritually deserted by God. Jonah senses that God has banished him into this grave for all of eternity. Right? Jonah is feeling what eternal punishment is like as he is in the belly of this great fish. And so what does it do? It compels Jonah as he feels the great weight of his own sin, to do the only thing that Jonah knows how to do, and that is to turn to God in prayer. Oh, brothers and sisters, do we not see how important it is to live daily in the presence of the Lord? One day away becomes two, becomes three. And then before you know it, your heart grows cold to God. And as sin prevails upon you day after day after day, you will start to grow indifferent to the Lord. Your heart will start to be sealed up from the Lord. So do not allow your hearts to be sealed up to God by neglecting being in the presence of God each and every day of your lives. Right? See how important it is to make your calling sure. See how important it is to run the race until the end. What Jonah describes is something terrible that we would not wish upon ourselves nor even our vilest enemy. This is why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that they are to, to pray for all people. This is why it's so important for you now, brothers and sisters, to take the time with, 
the children that you have in your home. To take the time with, with maybe your grandchildren. Right? To teach them and model faith for them. To show them through your own life that you value the presence of God in your life just as much as you value air in your lungs to breathe. We must be calling them to faith and repentance because if you don't, you will one day regret it. Because what Jonah here is feeling for a brief moment in time, the unbeliever will feel for all of eternity. But thanks be to God, brothers and sisters, that that is not something that the believer in Christ will have to endure. Right? For Christ died in our stead. And dying in our stead, He took upon Himself that penalty, which is the, which is the wrath of God, which included the torments of hell. This is what we confess in that great ecumenical creed, the, the Apostles' Creed. Right? That, that, that Christ descended into hell and on the third day He rose again. Now there are some people out there who actually believe that Christ went into hell. That's not what we are confessing when we say that. And the Bible is explicitly clear about what happens when Christ dies. Right? When Christ dies, He tells the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. He cries out to the Father, I, I commit my spirit to you. As soon as Jesus breathed His last breath, His spirit went to go be with the Lord. And in that evening, His body went into the ground. And even before all that, what does He cry out? It is finished. There is nothing more for Christ to do. You didn't have to go down to hell. Rather, when we confess this, what we are saying is that Christ on the cross experienced the torments of hell for you and I. He experienced the, the pains of death that were due to us for our penalty of sin. And what was part of our penalty for sin? The torments of hell. This is what Christ was made to endure for all who believe. He endured the, the pains and the torments of eternal hellfire, although it could not hold Him down. And it's this hellish torment and that Jonah experiences in a sense. Right? This is where Jonah's sin now has brought him. But brothers and sisters, what we need to see in our text today is that this is not where God will leave Jonah. Right? That God is merciful upon all who call out to His name with eyes of faith. Right? Jonah's sin brought Jonah deep down into the belly of the fish, but God will bring Jonah up and raise him back to newness of life. And this leads us then into our second point this morning, which is grace. Jonah could not escape nor deliver himself physically or spiritually apart from the grace of God. But Jonah has to come to realize this. And the way that God teaches Jonah this is by bringing Jonah so low that he feels that he will be lost forever. So then Jonah can see then the magnitude of God's grace in his salvation and increase his faith exponentially because of it. And this is exactly what Jonah realizes, isn't it? This is exactly what Jonah comes to learn. Who is it that throws Jonah into the sea? Physically, it's the sailors, isn't it? But who does Jonah say that it was? Look at verse 3. For you cast me in the deep. Brothers and sisters, do we not see here a wonderful display of genuine faith in the prophet Jonah? Jonah understands that the evils right now that he is experiencing is because of God. His God has placed him there. 
And yet, because of, in, in, in light, even with all of this going on, what does Jonah do? He turns to the Lord in prayer without any complaint. Right? Too many Christians today, when struck by calamity, turn to complaining, don't they? Right? Christians do not like to deal with trouble or trials. They hate how it makes them feel. But let me tell you something. This is one of the great problems with many Christians today. Is that they live too much by feeling and not enough by faith. Right? People today who even profess themselves to be Christians live too much by feeling and not enough by faith. This is what God through trial as our great teacher is, is teaching us here. This is the lesson that He is giving us to learn. To walk by faith and not by sight. And so instead of complaining, what we ought to do is be good students of our Lord and learn the lesson. What do we see here in Jonah's experience? Right? Mentally, physically, spiritually, all of Jonah's senses are telling him that God's grace is gone from you. Jonah's senses tell him that God is done with you, that God has left you in this grave underneath the sea, that you will live and die there and will never come up again because of punishment for your sin. Right? That is what Jonah's senses tell him. But what we see here is that Jonah will not allow his senses to overcome him, but rather, by faith, he overcomes his senses. Brothers and sisters, we all know what that is like, do we not? There is so much in this world that discourages us, doesn't it? There is so much in this world that chips at our faith, that causes us to lose hope. Right? So much happens in our lives that causes us to question ourselves. Do I... Truly have the favor of God. Am I truly a child of God? Or else why would this, why would this be happening to me right now? But what you need to see, each and every one of you today, is that when God brings you low, right, when He causes you to be spiritually sinking into the depths of the sea, what God is causing you to do is to not look inward, but look upward. That is faith. Right? That is faith. Faith is the as the author to the Hebrews says this, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Everything around Jonah was telling Jonah, you are not a child of God. Everything around him saying, you are not a child of God. But by God's grace, Jonah's faith would not be overcome by guilt and despair. And why is that? It is because Faith held on to the promises of God. Faith held on to the Word of God. Faith held on to the covenant that God established with him. And faith believed all of those things that God had spoken to him. Hugh Martin, in his Banner of Truth commentary on this book of Jonah, says this, The man who walks by sense can only praise God when deliverance comes. But the man who walks by faith can sing his praises for deliverance even before it comes. That's the difference between the one who walks by sense or walks by sight and the one who walks by faith. This is what Jonah is able to do. His faith causes him to hope in the Lord even when everything else around him is screaming in his ear, Jonah, you are hopeless. We read in verse 4, Then I said, I'm driven from your sight. Right? 
He's in the belly of this great fish. Everything that he sees tells him that he is outside of the favor of God. But what does he do? Does he wallow in pity? No. He by faith looks up to God saying what? Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. In verse 6, what does he say? I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Here Jonah's senses told him everything was closed upon him. He was shut out from the grace of God. But what does Jonah say? Yet you brought my life from the pit. Now remember here, brothers and sisters, Jonah, he didn't take a, a pen and paper down into the belly of this great fish with him. And so he's, he's writing this afterwards. right? He's reflecting upon his experience. He's writing about what he was thinking in the belly of this great fish. He's thinking about and writing down what he experienced. He's recording these things for us. In verse 7, what does he say? When my life was fainting, right? Jonah's senses tell him his life is fainting. It's going away. It's withering. He's dying. What does he say? I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Jonah here isn't talking about the physical temple. He's talking about his prayer going up to the heavenly temple of God where God is. His prayer arose from the depths of the sea to the heights of heaven as God hears his child's pleadings and cries. And Jonah knows that the all-merciful God will be merciful upon him. And he believes this by faith even when sight tells him otherwise. But do you see, brothers and sisters, this is what faith does. Faith gives us hope and comfort when sight tells us all is lost. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you of something here today. I know that everyone here is is well aware of this, but it's good to be reminded. And that is that religion is not something that we run to, that we escape to, that we turn to when we are in trouble. God nowhere in Scripture tells us that when you come to me, your trouble will subside. Or that you will no longer suffer. In fact, Jesus says the very opposite, doesn't He? Come to me and you will suffer. But what we need to see faith does is that what faith does through the grace of God is that it enables us to be comforted and to be at peace in the midst of trial. Right? What, what faith does is it allows us to bear up under our trials with endurance and patience. Right? What faith does is it enables us, it helps us to flee from sin and temptation knowing and being assured right, that God will bless us in our obedience and that He will provide for us aid and relief in that time of need. And so let each one of us hear, when you are feeling underneath God's rod of correction, turn to God in prayer and plead for His grace. Right? Let us be those who, who look to God in faith, who hold fast to the covenant promises, knowing that Christ and He alone is the believer's only comfort in life and death. And then asking, pleading with God that through Christ He would cause us to daily live in His presence. That He daily would remind us of how necessary it is to be in word and prayer. That God would help us to not be deceived by what we perceive with what we see with our eyes, but rather that we would look past and through our present circumstances by faith to the hope that is laid up for all who believe in Christ. This then leads us to our third and our final point this morning, which is gratitude. Gratitude is the only proper response to God's mercy. Jonah, by God's grace, is able to see through his present circumstances, past them, 
And he comes believing that God would not forsake him, but deliver him. And this is why then Jonah can say in verses 8 and 9 this, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We see here first, Jonah offers thanksgiving to God by setting apart God's name. Right? He sets apart God's name from all the vain idols. Right? He highlights who this God is, who He declared in chapter 1, the God of heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land. It is He and He alone, not in idols where hope is to be found. Anyone who looks for hope in vain idols will lose all hope. They become hopeless. And this, brothers and sisters, is what each and every one of us has come to realize when we have been brought to faith in Christ, is it not? Right? That, that our hope is only to be found in Christ. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one can come to the Father but by Him. This is what we have come to realize about all the other paths that present to us God. Right? What we have come to learn about them is that they don't offer us life but death. Right? Islam, Catholicism, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism, Atheism. None of these things offer to us life. None of these things can, can give us comfort and peace and hope and, and rest in Christ. All of them set us, set us up on a, on a crash course to eternal death apart from the loving presence of God forever. But when we finally come to understand as Jonah does, that it wasn't ourselves who opened our eyes up to this reality, did it not cause you to be overwhelmed with joy and to express your gratitude with thanksgiving and praise? I mean, this is why we come here every Lord's Day to show gratitude to our Savior, to recall what He did for us and to offer Him thanksgiving and praise. But it shouldn't stop there. Your whole life, every single day of your life ought to be lived in gratitude to the Lord. Here Jonah says, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Here we see, brothers and sisters, that true worship consists in praise. True worship consists in praise. It consists in vowing or surrendering ourselves to God. That we will use body, mind, soul for the service of our Lord. And how can we not, when we read about the grace that has been extended to us, when we read about the depths of our sin and where it is we deserve to be and what God has done for us, not because of any merit of our own, but because of the merit of Jesus Christ. How can you not respond with gratitude, praise, vowing your entire being to your Lord? This is what makes Jonah then shout, salvation belongs to the Lord. Right? Jonah just doesn't have head knowledge that salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah experiences that salvation belongs to the Lord. And we see that in verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Right? Jonah was in despair in the belly of this fish, feeling death encroach upon him. And now we see that God gives to him new life miraculously by having this great fish spew him out upon the dry land. Right? Jonah, as we said last week, experienced in a sense his own resurrection. And here we see this. We see God by His command, through His power, raising Jonah up to newness of life as that great fish spews him out. He is delivered now from the guilt of his sin. He is redeemed by God, having been granted new life in him. 
And brothers and sisters, I have to ask you here today, is, has your experience been Jonah's experience? Right? Have, have you recognized and realized the weight of your sin? Have you, feel, have you felt it pressed down upon you? Right? Have you turned to God then in prayer and cried out to Him for deliverance? And have you received the grace of God in Christ? Jonah cried out and he was delivered. Paul, who at that time was Saul, when he cried out because of his blindness, he too was delivered. Right? Jonah's new life experience is a new life experience that we all must have if we have a hope of ever attaining eternal life with God. This is what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3.3. 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so the question is to all of you here today, have you been born again? Have you been born again to a new hope, to a new life? If you have, then no longer take the presence of God for granted. Do not esteem it as something to be taken lightly because you can see here in the example of Jonah of what can happen to you. Stay in the presence of your Lord. Live in His presence daily. Hold firmly to the hand of your Father. When you're walking in a large crowd, Oftentimes you'll see a father holding his young child's hand firmly and tightly, don't you? So that that child does not get lost. So that the child does not have to be afraid with all the people that are around them. So that the child does not get abducted. So that the child does not lose his place with his father. Brothers and sisters, we need to see it as the same way with us. Every single day we need to walk hand in hand with our Lord so that we would not be lost. That we would not escape from His presence, that we would not be torn away by something else. We need to daily walk in the presence of God, clinging tightly to our Father's hand, maintaining a constant relationship with Him. And you maintain a constant relationship with your Father in Heaven through the Word and prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this day. We pray, Father, that You would bless us this morning that you would bless us with this uh, reading of your word, with the proclamation of the gospel, that you would uh, make it effectual to our hearts, Lord, that you would increase our faith, that you would cause us to see how necessary it is uh, to, to put uh, God first in our life, uh, to forsake all those other things that are obstacles to our relationship with him, and to see the importance and the value of living in the presence of our Lord daily, through word and prayer. And so, Father, we come before you this morning and we ask these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.